one of the things about doing a series on a, a book or a chapter or a series of uh, chapters within the Bible is that uh, some topics come up that you'd perhaps rather pass over rather than speak on. Uh, and there is a chapter in Corinthians chapter 5 that talks very much about church discipline. And when I was getting the, um, the topics ready for John, I was very tempted to skip over it and to put something perhaps a little more uh, pleasant in there. Because it's never, never easy to talk about discipline. But uh, God very clearly showed me that no, we need to talk about church discipline. Not particularly for our church, but in general terms about church discipline and uh, what the Bible has to say about it. So we didn't skip over it, we included it, and I'm going to speak on it this morning. So uh, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 13. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I was present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may, may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. As I said, this is one of those chapters of the Bible that we would rather skip through and move on to the next rather than hearing the truth that is in it. Discipline is never an easy topic to hear about or to speak on. But the fact that it is here in God's Word and also in other chapters of the Bible, probably most well known in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, 
which clearly gives instructions on how to deal with a brother who sins against you. There are also a whole list of commands, many of which include discipline in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I want to say here and now that I am not aware of anyone in our congregation who is tainted by what I'm about to say. But it's only by the grace of God. And I am only too aware of folk not too far away from us who have been affected by it. And it's not to say that we won't be affected by it as well at some future date. The first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 8, deals with a very unsavoury sexual affair between a man and his stepmother. The man would appear to be in a fairly senior position in the church. And rather than condemning him for his behaviour, the congregation, it is being reported widely in the world outside of the church, that they are condoning it and letting the affair continue right under their noses with no action being taken against the individual. Note in verse 1 it actually says it is actually reported. This is not someone from within the church expressing concern to Paul, although hopefully there were such people. But Paul is hearing these reports from non-Christians. One of the things that happens, as I'm sure you will have experienced, when you openly declare your Christianity, is that it is almost as if you are in a greenhouse. All of your non-Christian and some Christian friends, and particularly sometimes your family, look on your life far more closely probably more than those around you. And if you do the slightest thing wrong, they are often heard to exclaim, hopefully to you, but more often to other people. As a Christian, I didn't think he or she would do that, or say that, or go there, or speak to them or any other number of things. That is what has happened here. News of what this man is doing has got out into the wider world, wider world. And the reaction of the church fellowship to what is going on is also subject to discussion as well. Never underestimate the people around you who are non-Christians and I'm afraid to say even some Christians, who will seize every opportunity they can to discredit you and by implication the church and the church fellowship. It's for this reason that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in very blunt terms about the action they should be taking with this man. He tells them that it doesn't matter what position he holds or in what reverence they hold him. He needs to be treated as any other would. 
They are to take him out of fellowship. And as it says in the words, to hand him over to Satan. Not literally, but Satan is the ruler of the non-Christian world. And it is to that world he should be returned. Not out of spite or malice, but in the hope that he will come to his senses and realise that he is losing far more by, by, by being taken out of fellowship with Christ than the short-term gratification he is getting from his liaison. That he would earnestly repent and turn again to the Lord. Paul uses the example of yeast in bread to show that a small amount of yeast will spread throughout the whole loaf. That one sin left to develop and remain unchallenged will soon spread throughout the whole church. Better to expel the yeast of malice and wickedness and eat instead unleavened bread, the bread of sincerity and truth. Paul then goes on to express his thoughts about how the Corinthians and we should live and act in this corrupt world around us. And the discipline we as Christians should impose on ourselves and those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. What is sin? In Corinth, and if we're honest in our own hearts, we have certain pet sins for which we have tons of tolerance. Whilst there are others that we condemn immediately. This list hits every area of our lives and should convict every one of us as none of us are perfect and all of us fail to measure up. To give a very simple example, the speed limits which are applied on our roads in this land. Believe it or not, 70 miles per hour is the speed limit on motorways and 30 miles per hour in towns. Several years ago, Fiona's son Neil brought a sermon in a similar vein about speed limits. And I was convicted at that time about the wrongness of driving above these limits. And almost always now, note the almost, drive at or within the legal limits. It's amazing, especially in built-up areas, how many people will pit their horns to try to move you faster than the 30 mile per hour limits. And no amount of advertising on the television by the various agencies to show you the results of just going five miles an hour above the limit can have, seems to have any effect. I share this not to sound pious, although I probably do, but as an example of one of the sins I condemn immediately 
breaking the law of the land is a sin. And I'll my hand up and confess that uh, about 20 years ago I was convicted of driving above the speed limit. And I know one or two of you have as well. But it's there, it's a sin, and we do it. So how are we to judge or make distinctions? Are we all one sin away from excommunication and condemnation? No, that is not good news. So who does this apply to and why? When sin by a Christian brother or sister is exposed or even held up, then we, both pastor and church, have a responsibility to confront it and encourage brothers and sisters to repent and walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We do so lovingly and to help them escape from sin because they are part of our family. This is not the one-off sin that I'm talking about that we all commit from time to time, but a continuous pattern of sin from which they do not show any signs of repenting or relinquishing. If you're aware of a brother or sister who is pursuing a sin in overt, explicit or extreme manner, then they are choosing to be identified with their sin more than their saviour. As a Christian, you can't do that. You can't do both. There is no place in the covenant family for those whose lives are defined by sin rather than by Christ. It has to be judged or it's accepted. It has to be purged or it is received. I would at this point suggest that it is best handled by the church pastor unless he or she is involved themselves, which can sometimes unfortunately be the case. And you should refer to them rather than confronting by yourself, although it isn't always possible to do that. When someone is in full pursuit of sin, they need to be made aware it is not acceptable for citizens of the kingdom of God to continue to walk in darkness. They will believe, wrongly, that if unchecked, sorry, if unchecked, that they can experience the benefits of the kingdom in this life and the next without submitting to the authority of Jesus. There can be no double agent ambassadors for Christ. You cannot have dual citizenship with the world and God's kingdom. A man cannot serve two masters. If someone continues to pursue sin, it will be destructive both to them and to those around them 
and the church as a whole if left unchecked. Besides Jesus, there is no one perfect in the church. We all have sin, past, present and future, that we are confessing, asking forgiveness for and repenting of. We're also seeking to grow in our relationship with our Father God. A community defined and made distinct from the world by the gospel cannot be a place where some of us are actively fighting sin whilst others are pursuing the same sins. We are all, every one of us, recovering sin addicts. We are also seeking rest and refuge from sins committed to us or against us. Churches for the Christian brother and sister have walls and security. If someone has been the victim of sexual immorality or a greedy swindler or any other number of sins and they seek asylum in the church and become a new citizen as Jesus promises all those who turn to him in repentance will be then they need to have some expectation of safety when they're in the church Evil allowed to remain within will tear down the walls of the church from the inside. The church needs to be a safe place for God's saints to heal from the world and to be equipped to return to the mission field. The church needs to be distinct from the world around us. Sin is destructive, sin hurts and is never contained. Someone pursuing a life of sin whilst claiming to be a Christian and who has the tacit agreement of the church will come into contact with the world and the world will assume, not surprisingly, that their actions and or lifestyle are representative of the church and the kingdom they represent unless it is checked. People pursuing blatantly and deliberately a sinful lifestyle cannot be allowed to soil the reputation of the church or God by foolish destructive actions. They need to be dealt with. Our expectations and our interactions within the church are, and if they're not, they should be, different than those within the world. We need to remember that this world is not our home. As a church and as ambassadors for Christ, we need to acknowledge where our borders and authority ends.
we can grieve the sins of the world but our place is not to judge the sins of the world that is the role of Jesus and he will return and there will be judgment if your faith is in this world then know that this world will pass away and there is wrath for those who don't serve Jesus if your faith is in Jesus he took the wrath of God on the cross for you and you will be a full citizen in the new kingdom that is good news Revelation 21 1 to 5 tells us then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anything anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new we have been given the responsibility of being ambassadors for Christ's church until that day comes we need to take our responsibilities seriously and where we see persistent wrongdoing among our brothers and sisters in Christ we need to confront it and deal with it however painful that may be because some of these may be people that we've known for many many years that we've built up friendships with but our first responsibility is to Jesus Christ and to the church we need to do it in order to protect the individual we need to make them realize that what they're doing is wrong and hopefully restore them to fellowship but also as I've said for the protection of the church and those who worship in it we don't want one small piece of bad yeast bringing the whole church down and it does happen it has happened in the past as I said at the beginning I'm not aware of anything within our church at the present time that requires church discipline to be enacted but please let's not get complacent it may be there and we're not aware of it yet or it certainly could be at some point in the future
we need to be ever vigilant, ever prayerful, ever alive to the possibility. And when we see it happen, which God forbid it ever does in this church, but if we see it happening, then we need to act on it. We need to be bold. We need to make certainly the church leadership aware of it. And that is the best route to go. But if that's not possible, then to do something about it ourselves. For the sake of the individual concerned, for the sake of this church, and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Paul. We've got a few minutes before the children come back in, so could I ask you some questions about it, Paul? Would that be okay, please? Thank you. Do you want to keep the microphone on, because I think we're still recording it, because it could be helpful. Thank you. It's a challenging subject, isn't it? It So, I know that for a lot of people, when there's sin, it's secret. We don't tell people about it. And maybe it's something that we've had in our lives for years and years, and it's you, so you think. So I wondered, from your pastor's perspective, have you got any practical experience or practical advice that you could give to any of us where we're perhaps in habitual sin and it's secret and no one knows about it, even our closest friends, nearest and dearest, what would you suggest that they could do? Well, I I quite agree, John, that there are those occasions when we have that in our lives and we think that there's only us that knows about it. Well, the truth of the matter is it isn't only us that knows about it. Jesus Christ knows about it as well. And from personal experience... Jesus Christ will come along from time to time and prod you and say, look, why are you doing that? Or why is that happening in your life? And it's up to us then to either acknowledge it or we can, if we want to, push it to one side. Again, from personal experience, I can tell you that it's easier to push it to one side because I've done that on several occasions. But God is a gracious God, is a merciful God, and he won't let it go away. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because it is between you and God because you're the only ones who know about it. And at the end of the day, it has to be down to the individual whether they respond to God's call to put it to one side, to come back and to seek repentance and forgiveness, or whether to carry on in that sin. Uh, But it's also something where we as a church, again, can be observant because we may think that nobody else knows about it. Well, sometimes it can be that other people may know that there's something going on. They may not know what it is, but they may see a change in the way in which you act or the way in which you speak or the way in which you deal with certain things and think, what's going on there? What's going on? in their life and if you see that then it would be your responsibility then either to come to uh, me in our case or John and to say look I'm a little bit worried about 
so-and-so, I think there's something going on, I'm not sure what it is, but could you have a quiet word with them perhaps and find out what it is? Or if you know them well enough, individually as a person, it may be that perhaps you need to get alongside them because you will be the person that they will interact with better than somebody else, possibly. And certainly, I generally find that if uh, it's somebody of the opposite sex, then they generally find it easier to talk to somebody of the same sex. So um, Lynn quite often comes into play at that point when I'm dealing with something like that. And uh, because ladies have an affinity and they have a, a way of talking to each other that quite honestly we guys don't understand. And similarly, uh, fellas have a way of talking to each other that ladies don't understand because that's the way God made us. So, um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's what I see. Uh, be aware to God's prompting and react to it positively, hopefully. Depends how much you want to cling on to the sin that's in your life and how much you want to be a part of the church in a real and proper way. As I said when I was speaking, uh, sometimes we need to go reach that position where we're at total rock bottom. And we need to put somebody out of fellowship in order that they can see where they are and what their relationship with God is and what they're giving up in order to pursue a short-term gain and uh, not just abandon them, obviously continue to speak to them. And hopefully at some point they then will listen to God's prompting and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and come back into fellowship. And we can disciple them through whatever it is that's creating the problem. Thank you. So the positive thing is, is not to just stay as we are, but the positive thing is to talk to someone about it, talk to you or to talk to a friend. Mm. Indeed. And uh, the, the longer we keep it within ourselves, then it's going to grow because sin grows. It's like lies. When you lie, you have to then produce another lie to justify the lie you've already said, and then another lie on top of that to justify the second lie you've made. And so it just builds up and it builds up and it builds up until you're in a place where you don't know where to go next. And uh, hopefully the next place you go is either to me or to somebody else in the church and say, look, I'm in a real mess here, this is what I've done, I'm stupid, I know, but I've reached this point and I don't know where to go next. Uh, most of you know, I think, that Lynn and I had some real problems back in the 80s. And we tried to deal with them in our own strength for a long time. And it wasn't until at 4 o'clock in the morning, why is it always 4 o'clock in the morning? But at 4 o'clock in the morning, we got down on our knees before God and said, God, we can't deal with this. We're in this situation, we don't know where to turn next. Will you please, please help us? And if you do, we were very gracious. We said, if you do, we will dedicate the rest of our lives to serving you. He kept his part of the bargain, and for most of the time we kept our part of the bargain, although we did fall by the side from time to time, as you can expect. But God will, if you turn to him, act. He will bring about a solution to your problem. There's nothing that God that can be put on you that God can't deal with. And God's heard everything. Don't think that your sin is too big a sin or too heinous a sin for God to deal with. He's seen it all, believe me. And he's no longer shocked. I don't think he ever was shocked. 
but please don't think that your sin is too great for God to deal with because it isn't. He's dealt with it many times before. And don't think that you're the only one that's ever been in that position because you're not. Other people have been there as well and they've come in repentance and they've been turned around and they've become useful in the fellowship of God. Look at me. I won't tell you what happened in the 80s, but it's pretty heinous. God turned it around and used it for good. And I'm standing here now. So, so could you bless us by praying for us? All yeah. That would be brilliant. Father, we just come before you. Father, discipline is always a difficult thing to talk about and a difficult thing to uh, recognize in our lives and a difficult thing sometimes to do anything about. But Father, we know that you love us, that you care for us, that you have our very best interests at heart, and that, Father, if we bring it to you, then you will help us through it. You will deal with it on our behalf. You will restore us. You will help us to grow back into a healthy relationship with you and with the church. But, Father, we need to be willing. We need to be willing to hand everything over to you and to trust you for the outcome. Father, help us to do that if we're in that position at this particular time. Help us to know that you will take care of us and you will put people around us to look after us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.